Our first reading is from Isaiah 53, verses 10 to 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush his servant and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And our Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. 
Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the things prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. For they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. Shall I pray? Let me pray. Father, comfort us now with your hope. Confront us with your hope. Cause us to humble ourselves before Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead and Lord of all. May he lift us up in due time and with him. Amen. So, today's sermon comes in the form of seven questions. Seven questions questions, and those questions will come up on the screen as we move through the sermon. First, why are we here? Of course, I don't know a fair amount of you visitors, so I don't know why you're here. I'm here because I know that my Redeemer lives, just like Job knows that his Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives and that his name is Jesus Christ. We're here today meeting because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's why we're here. This is how Luke begins his account of the resurrection. Luke 24 verse 1, also printed in your orders of service. On the first day of the week, that's the Sunday, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb of Jesus. Quite frankly, it's grisly. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb that had been placed there by the Romans. But when they entered the tomb, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so the claim has been made for 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years that Jesus is alive, that is, currently alive. That's why the body can't be found and wasn't procured within days of his very public death. He died on a Friday and died, he did. The Romans don't make mistakes. But on Sunday morning, 
God raised him from the dead. Now, that's the claim that we're here to wrestle with tonight. Secondly, second question, what did the Jewish prophets have to say about all this? I mean, was this idea of Jesus' resurrection sort of plucked out of thin air? The prophet Isaiah, as an example, wrote of God's servant, 700 years before Christ, of one who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. We read this at St. Philip's and the Garrison Church where I was on Friday, on Good Friday. But then the servant song in Isaiah goes on, remembering that this is centuries before Jesus' life. We read in Isaiah 53, verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. That's a surprise. And to cause him to suffer. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, for example, me, and he will bear their iniquities. For those with eyes to see, death and resurrection are everywhere in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus himself, after he had risen from the dead, on that road to Emmaus, will say to two disciples who are confused about all this, he'll say, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Interesting, he's not asking them to believe a miracle at that point, he's asking them to believe thousands of years of prophecy. Did not the thousands of years of prophecy mean that the Messiah had to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, including Isaiah, I presume, explain to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. One beautiful Bible study with the risen Jesus on that road to Emmaus and in many ways the beginning of reading the Old Testament through the lens of the resurrection. How many questions have we done so far? Two. Three. Why do rational people believe it? I mean, after all, it is irrational to believe that a man can come back to life. Why do rational people believe it? And they do, by the way, down through the ages. Very rational people. Today, in this room, in the city church, we believe it. Educated, uneducated, the poets, the scientists among us, professionals, workers. I regularly shudder to think how much education there is in the parish of Churchill. Right? And yet here they are, plenty of doctors in the room tonight, let alone the other four services of St. Philip's. Plenty of scientists. It's not that it doesn't sound silly. In many ways, and to many people, it does. But it sounded silly then, too, when the disciples first heard the report, the women in the tomb, the body is gone, he's not here, he's risen. They go back and report it. But Luke 24, verse 11, the disciples did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And it may seem like nonsense to you too. So why do we believe it? Well, there are many answers to that question, but there's a simple one too. The simple answer to this question of why rational people believe it is that we are indeed open to the miraculous. 
we're open to God being able to do stuff that is surprising. We are not close-minded. We don't believe everything we hear. I don't. That's very important. It's not that we're gullible. And by the way, not that they were gullible back then, and we're rational now, because they thought it was nonsense then. We don't believe everything we hear, but we don't reject a claim like this one a priori, without examining, without looking into it first. Peter was in that room who presumably thought it sounded like nonsense, but the next verse, Luke 24, verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. In other words, he checked out the claim. He goes to the tomb and bending over into the tomb, he saw the strips of linen that Jesus was wearing or embalmed in, lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And you might be doing the same thing this, this evening. We are open to God being present in the life of Jesus. We're open to God. Paul spoke in front of a Jewish king when he said, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? That's question number three of seven. Fourth, what has this got to do with me? The answer is everything, everything. Something happened then. Something happened then in that garden tomb that confronts us now and gives some people in this room power and meaning and hope now and even more now and like Jesus beyond our graves, beyond our own deaths, we have hope. On the ABC's Q&A a few years ago at the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, which is often not a festival of dangerous ideas because my impression of it is they often get together to sort of share things they all believe that, that used to be dangerous but are now commonly accepted. But journalist Peter Hitchens was joined, joined them and Peter Hitchens is the bro- or was the brother of the late Christopher Hitchens, the famous new atheist. And he was asked he, to sum up his dangerous idea and he said this of the Easter story, he said, or this of any dangerous idea, he said, the most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and rose from the dead. That is the most dangerous idea you will ever encounter. Now, no other panellist was asked to clarify why they thought it was a dangerous idea, but host Tony Jones said, you've got to elaborate, to which Hitchens continued, it's dangerous because it alters the whole of human behaviour and all our responsibilities. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a design pace, right, because God's in it, because God's touching the world in which there is justice and there is hope, and therefore we have a duty to discover the nature of that justice, not just any justice, that justice, and work towards that hope, not just any hope, that hope. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope, and as I say, not just any hope, but a confronting hope, for it means that Jesus Christ is Lord, there is one whom we must bow our knee, so the hymn goes, Thine be the glory, thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son, endless is the victory thou, O death, hast won. You can no more control this Son than you can control control the Son. 
What has this got to do with me? Well, put simply, if Jesus Christ isn't raised from the dead, then I'm still in my sins, which is terrifying if there's a just and righteous and holy God. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, I would still be in my sins and therefore judged justly or hell-bound. But Jesus loved me and gave his life for me. He took all the muck, as the prophet Isaiah says, and I've got plenty of muck. He took all my stubbornness, and I've got it in spades. He took all my dark secrets and my open sins. He took all my sins past, present, and future. And he took with all of them the just wrath of God onto that cross and nailed it there and then into the grave in order to snuff it out, the sin that is. It wasn't that his life was permanently snuffed out. It wasn't. The resurrection proves that. But my sins were. Amen? That's the point. So now I rise every morning confident in the love of God joyful in the hope of the resurrection and with power to live a life of obedience to God. Paul uses the image of baptism, immersion, to make the point. He says, I have been baptized, I've been immersed into Christ's death in order that I might be raised with him in his resurrection. That's the fourth question. Fifth question of seven. Where can I find this information? And the answer is, it's all in here, a Bible from beginning Old and New Testament, as Jesus himself points out. And I want you to take a Bible today, we've put a bow on it. The reason we put a bow on it is to give you confidence that we really want you to have it. In fact, we've even put a little note here which says, you have the right to walk out of the building with one of these books. Why? Because we believe that the story of God's saving love is found in those pages. Start with Luke's Gospel would be my suggestion. There's a woman at 8.30 that says to me, you're not giving away enough Bibles to us. And she pays for them all and gets upset that I don't give, it, give more away. Do me a favour. I want her off my back. Take them especially if you know that you can't find an easy-to-read Bible, Old and New Testament, within two minutes of walking into your front door. Or you could join the Alpha Course, which is starting on, page, uh, starting on April 28, on Thursday evenings, in person. I'm, we'll do some online ones, but I, in person is good. And those details are on page 15. I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But I want to explore all of this this morning. And I want to do it in the theme of a confronting hope. This is the second part in a two-part series. The first part started two days ago on Good Friday. It's a short series. At its heart, the message of Easter is a message about hope, but not just any hope, as if any hope will do. I was down at the newly formed men's shed of Miller's Point, and the chair of the meeting had maybe 25 blokes in the room, and he said, what can you offer? the men's shed. And one guy said, you know, I can saw a tree with my bare hands. Another guy said, I built a tower. Another person said, I can create a garden out of nothing. Another person said, you want a chicken coop? I can get it done for you in 30 seconds. I said, I'm a clergyman, which basically means I do nothing with these hands. 
no calluses. I says, uh, you know, but, you know, I, the thing I deal with is forgiveness and grace and hope. There was some awkwardness in the room as the chair of the, I think he wanted me to build a chicken coop, but the, the chair of the meeting said, well, we could all do with a bit of hope. And I thought, that's true. Humans can't live without hope. But that's not what we mean when we talk about gospel hope. We're not just talking about any hope as if any hope will do. A lot of people, I believe, treat Jesus like a cat or a kitten. At the end of a long day when you've worked hard, you want God to sort of come to you and comfort you as though he could sit in your lap like a cat and that you could pat him and he would purr. But Jesus is no cat in your lap. He is risen from the dead, the Lion of Judah and Lord of all. He is the end of all despots, all dictators, all injustice, even the injustice I commit myself. No, this is a specific hope that comes from God. It's a confronting hope, the God who made us and loves this world and has a claim over our lives. It's confronting because it means that I'm not Lord because Jesus is Lord. We live in a secular age of the rise and triumph of the modern self. We live in a selfie world. I am who I am because I feel the way I feel. I am who I am because I say who I am. Tell me that's not true of our age. But if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, then I do not get to determine my life. I get to yield it to another, to Jesus Christ risen from the dead. No wonder it's a dangerous idea. And it's all the way through Acts. In Acts 2, Peter proclaims Jesus Christ risen from the dead on Pentecost with these words. He says, therefore, let all Israel, all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's important. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We must do something if this be true. We can't leave this room without doing something. Not if Jesus Christ is both Lord and Messiah. They were confronted, they were jolted into action. By the way, don't let anybody tell you that uh, Christianity is this sort of staid religion and Anglicanism, this thing where you don't have any emotions. They were cut to the heart. So should we. Six of seven questions. What then happened that morning on Easter Day? Well, after a bruising Friday of frenzied violence, a farcical show of abusive power, the deep display of human arrogance, God, the Son, the Son of God, breathed his last breath and was laid into a tomb, buried, dead and gone, and with it the death of the hopes of the disciples. And you know that because of the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, verse 14, two disciples, after hearing the women say he's risen from the dead, there's a rumour going around, and they're on the road to Emmaus, and verse 14, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And Jesus scoots in alongside them, risen from the dead, but they don't recognise him, and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still with their faces downcast. After all, he was to be the hope. But hope is now dead. 
One of them asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Oh, the irony. Hmm? You pick the irony? He's the only one that knows everything of what happened. But he asks, what things? Tell me again. Remind me. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, and they don't make mistakes. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel and the world. How's it going so far? Not very well. It's been three days since all this took place. Three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, where their hope has been taken away. We had hoped, but our hope died with him. But in the quiet hours before dawn on Easter morning, with no one watching, save the Father and the Holy Spirit, God raised Jesus to life again in his body from the grave. We're open to this. God the Father lifted his Messiah out of death. That's what you read in Luke 24, back at verse 5. The women have come to embalm Jesus. There's two messages from God. They get flattened on their face, these women, and the messengers say, why do you look for the living, Jesus, among the dead in tombs? A tomb is the wrong place to find Jesus Christ. He is not here, he is risen, as he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. It was always going to happen, according to Jesus. Now, many have a suspicion that something big happened that day, and maybe you have a suspicion about that. But most Australians will ignore the event as irrelevant at best. Relevant is work, relationships, happiness, security, perhaps family, irrelevant at best, fanciful at worst, or fantasy at worst, and they'll enjoy the extended long weekend with bunnies and chocolate. But it is true to say, historically, that the empty tomb of Jesus set off a chain of events that would change the world. We know it's true. And what Jesus said to the two disciples then, he says to us now, present in this room, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? This, by the way, was always the plan, had to die, had to rise. God wasn't shy about it either. If you take this book with a bow and you read your Old Testament carefully, you realise that the Messiah, representing Israel, always had to go down and under in order to come back up again in order to bring the whole ruined world with him. That is true. The Old Testament could be summed up in perhaps these ways. First, slavery, and after slavery, freedom. First, judgment, then after judgment, vindication. First, exile, then after exile, restoration. First down, then up. First, death, then resurrection. Because the real problem of humanity is not education or government, but rather it is sin and death in every institution and area of our lives, including our own human hearts, 
And you can see that problem in the Bible most clearly and vividly in decay, indeed, in death itself. And God's solution for the problem of sin and death is resurrection from the dead. Out of the grave, he arose. Out of despair comes hope, out of confusion comes clarity. This is our Messiah, this is our God. The disciples got it? Do you? This is the sort of message I want you to respond to. They all are, but look at Luke 24, verse 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Is God opening your eyes tonight that you can recognize Jesus? And in verse 32, they say, very important, they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Their hearts burned within them. And so my final question today is, does your heart burn within you? For example, have you ever wondered if there truly is love at the centre of the universe and not just hate? Have you ever wondered if there's life at the end of it all and not just decay? Have you ever wondered if love predates the creation of the world? Does love predate matter? Or is love an invention of human beings in evolution? Love is at the heart of the universe and the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes this point. Do your hearts burn within you? Have you ever wondered if there's forgiveness available for sinners like me? I have. Is there a conquering of sin? The resurrection of Jesus proves there is forgiveness for sinners like me. Does your heart burn within you? Have you ever wondered if there's hope? And I mean not just wishful thinking, but a lasting hope, a substantial one, a thick hope, not a thin one, a hope for now and indeed beyond the grave. The resurrection of Jesus tells you that such a hope is real. Does your heart burn within you? Have you ever wondered if you would be able to taunt death even as you go to your own death? Even as you go to your own death? Could you, along with the Apostle Paul, taunt death, saying, Where, O death, is your victory? He's quoting the prophet Hosea. Where, O death, is your sting? Could you imagine being on your deathbed, surrounded by family or friends, perhaps God has kind you in such ways? Could you imagine being able to use the final words that you have to be able to say that death does not get the last word? that something bigger is ahead of me. Because that's what resurrection of Jesus says. I once, in an Easter sermon, said that the resurrection of Jesus means that your best days are necessarily and always ahead of you. They have to be. Even on your deathbed, I said. And this uh, woman came to me afterwards and said, that's the message I'm going to take away from your sermon. You know, that my best days are ahead of me. I've had some difficulties with work. Relationships have been difficult, but I can feel a, tur a corner turning. I'm going to tell myself my best days are ahead of me. And I'm like, no, this is not the power of positive thinking. That's not what we're talking about here. 
I'm saying with those final breaths, your best days are still ahead of you. They lie on the other side. Does your heart not burn within you? Have you ever wondered what will happen at the end, at the eschaton? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is the model. The Apostle Paul will say that Christ is the first fruits, the first one of millions who believe. We shall all be like him. Does your heart not burn within you? Have you ever wondered if Jesus really is the Messiah, not just a good man like they say? The resurrection is God's beginning of the restoration of all things. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. He is the Messiah who saves and rules. Does your heart not burn within you? That same Jesus is Messiah now, today, ruler, rescuer, showing God's love, pouring out his spirit on his people, empowering people with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And he's calling people, even here tonight, to repentance and forgiveness he was raised in order to judge the living and the dead. We said it a moment ago in the creeds. Have you ever wondered if God will judge the world or if it will just go to pot like it appears to be doing? God will put the world to rights. The Apostle Paul said at the Areopagus of all places, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he has given proof to everyone by raising one from the dead. Have you ever wondered if a single encounter with God, maybe even here tonight, could change your life and shape your life for good? Have you ever wondered if it's really worth obeying God, especially the hard parts, especially the parts you don't like to read in the Bible? Why not eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die? Because that's the conclusion if there is no resurrection. And by the way, that is the premise of the movie, of the TV show, Breaking Bad. Have you ever wondered if there's meaning in life, whether your work counts, whether those good things you did that went unnoticed, will they be noticed? Are your gifts worth it? Is the art valuable? Have you ever wondered if you can live through suffering? Just like Job, we can live through it knowing there's a light at the end of the tunnel. What else does the death, then resurrection of Jesus prove? Have you ever wondered if anxiety will rule in the end or depression will it have the last word if addictions can be overcome have you ever wondered if you are truly alone jesus said after his resurrection i am with you always to the end of the age to all of this i want to say it's fantastic but i don't believe it's fantasy i want to say this is truly unbelievable, but I believe it. I want to say it's incredible, but it is entirely credible. Are you looking for a, a door into all of this, a door ajar, with just a little bit of light through it, that if you could walk through it, you'd find a bigger divine light on the other side? Jesus is that door. I invite you to take a Bible with a bow in it or join the Alpha Course in a couple of weeks' time. But be like Peter, who presumably thought it sounded like nonsense. But he got up and ran to the tomb. We can't run to the tomb, but you can join a course on Thursdays at the Garrison Church. Stop wondering about these things and start believing. I know that my Redeemer lives, and because he lives, I live. Let's pray.
Perhaps you might like to lean forward, close your eyes, bow your heads, because this is a moment we really should expect God to just convict us and touch us. If Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, then everything changes, so let's come before him. Father, you are the God of the living, and life is what you have in store for us and not death. Hope and not despair, truth and not lies. Having dealt with our sins on the cross of Jesus Christ, you raised Jesus to life that we might be plunged with him into his death in order to be raised with him and receive his life. Tonight I choose his life for my own. I find myself hidden in him, alive in him. As the Apostle Paul says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Help us to live that life and no other. A life of faith and trust and love and obedience. Tonight we choose you. For Christ's sake. Amen.